Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. Pop quiz. What animal lives her life as a single mom as the dad slacks off, all while her child can be eaten without her knowledge and replaced by another species? And yet people are so passionate about it that they've thrown a concert in its honour. And I freaked out. I was like, whoa, it's a sign. Welcome to Look At Me, I'm Benjamin Law. Everyone loves and is distracted by the well-known Australian animals like wallaby, emu, platypus, very beloved, maybe overrated. But what about the ones that hide in plain sight that you might see every day, but you have no idea what they actually yeah, are? Yeah, yeah, righto, mate. Save it for your next quarterly essay. That's Chris McCormack from Remember the Wild, and he's here to explain Australia's lesser-known animals to me because I know SFA. Ah. Oh. Come on, Ben, I think you're giving yourself too much credit there. Yeah, you're right. Next animal. Is it going to be stinky? Is it going to be scaly? Is it going to be huggable? Actually, even the huggable ones can be pretty dangerous. What have you got for me today? Before we get to that, I need you to take a bit of an exam. Mm-hmm. This is serious. Okay. Pop quiz? No more jokes. It's getting very serious in here. I feel ben, like I'm, I'm going to show you six images. Okay. You're looking at six images. They are insects. They are flying they are insects. All in, they are all winged insects. One kind of looks a little bit bee-like. One looks a little bit waspy. I mean like wasp-like. I'm not talking about white Anglo-Saxon Protestant-like. Wasp-like. One that looks a little bit blue, like from the film Avatar. It's very, you know, honey, I shrunk the kids kind of like insects that we're looking at. Very, very large and colourful. All right, Ben, I need you to tell me... How many of these are bees? How many of them are bees? Well, the the first one definitely looks like a bee because it's like bumblebee-ish. The second one could be a bee. Then the last four, I don't think they look like bees at all. They kind of look like hornets or, in some cases, almost butterfly-ish. How many are bees, Ben? I reckon two. Two. Keep going. Three? Are we just going to go all through bees, all? Ben. All Are you bees. some kind of moron? You're looking at bees. Do you know what a bee is? The surprise is Chris has actually trapped me in a room. You're about to release bees into the room, aren't you? Well, you wouldn't know, would you? Because you wouldn't know if they're bees or not. That's true. Oh, my God. I've been owned. It's quite a pleasure. Look, I am surprised. I think the world would be surprised to know that you guessed two of them were bees. These are all native Australian 
bees, okay? Did you know that we had bees in Australia other than the ones that make your honey? Don't all bees make honey? <sighs> this is going to be a long episode if you're going to keep carrying on this way. Hey, our audience has the time. So do I. Ben, there are more than 2,000 native Australian bee species. Wow, 2,000. I thought you were going to tell me that there were just 2,000 native bees, but you're talking about different <laughs> types of bees. Yeah, different species. Can I ask a dumb question? Because that's all I've been doing this I podcast I suspect anyway. that's all you're capable of. My question is, these six things look very, very different from each other. So what even is a bee? I'll go back 160 million years ago, and that was when wasps were going around. Dr. Ken Walker from the Museum of Victoria is one of Australia's most knowledgeable bee experts. The whole reason why the insects go around, particularly wasps, uh, is to be able to find food for their young, okay? Now, some uh, find plant food, but the wasps use animal tissue, particularly like little caterpillars or other insects that they grab. The whole reason they're doing this is that they've got to feed their young protein and the protein builds muscle tissue. As an adult, all they need are carbohydrates from nectar to fly, okay? So the young need protein, but the adults just need sugars and carbohydrates. So the wasps were going around and digging holes and catching caterpillars, and it was all going very nicely, but there was a lot of competition, okay? Because everything was a wasp, and they were catching lots and lots of caterpillars. And then about 160 million years ago, along came the angiosperms, which are the flowering plants. And suddenly the flowering plants provided a new protein source, which is pollen. So whenever there's competition and a new food source comes along, evolution says, whammo, we're gonna create a new group that will go in and use this new niche and this new resource. So a group of wasps decided to start using pollen as a protein source to feed their young rather than animal tissue. Right, that's our bees. That's how bees came around. So bees are vegetarian wasps. That's not an entirely bad way of looking at it, surprisingly. So when you think of a bee, Ben, what do you, what do you think of? I think of stings and I think of honey. Well, there are a lot of bees out there that are stingless, okay? There are stingless bees. Mm. You think of honey, that's because you're thinking of the European honeybee, which oh. we have here in Australia. That's where you're thinking apiarists and the honey industry and uh, maybe a little bit of rice syrup, um, but mostly, mostly honey. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not your typical bee. That's a very special bee and a bee that lives in these massive hives, okay? But and not bi- not all bees even live in hives? Hell no, not all <gasps> bees live in hives. Twist. Yes, yes. Not all bees are your conformist drones like honeybees. A lot You're of them go out on their own. Mind. I'm blowing your minds. I knew I would. The bees that I know, not that I know them personally, but the bees that I've met have these incredibly hierarchical structures. You know, honeybees, they have the queens, the drones, the workers. Do all bees have that kind of hierarchy? No. What? In fact, uh, that is incredibly rare in the world of bees. It's rare in the world of insects. It's something like less than 2% of all insects are social in that way. Do you know how a hive works? I have to say no, but they look delicious. So you know that there's a queen bee, right? Uh-huh. There's the queen bee, and she's the monarchy, and she, but she's the one laying all the eggs. So these thousands and thousands of uh, worker bees, which are pretty much all her daughters, they aren't laying eggs, which means they're not passing on their genes as individuals, okay? They are working their bee butts off to serve 
her. And she could live for five to six years. They live for about six weeks, smash themselves, drop dead from the effort, and she just sits around popping out babies. No, which is not entirely lazy. I imagine that takes some effort. No, not for her. She's <laughs> she's a baby-making machine. She breeds once when she's young. She, she collects and stores enough sperm to be able to pop out thousands and thousands and thousands of children over five to six years of her life. So if that's a monarchy and the kind of bee that we're probably most familiar with, what are these other bees doing? Have they established democracies, socialist utopias? Good question. I'm not sure we know the answer to that. My uh, suspicion is no. The The monarchy system is new for bees, right? This kind of social system, this hive system, this is a later uh, evolutionary mm. adaptation. Most bees are solitary, okay? And so they're single mums. They're not queens. They're oh, single mums. Oh, wow. Why don't we, and especially me, why don't we know about these native bees, these thousands of bees that are indigenous to our continent? Part of it is just the fact that we've had this long history with beekeeping, but it's also because of popular culture and media that perpetuate this myth. So, you know, the bee movie, media coverage about bees and pollinators, it's consistently focused on this one species of bee. This is Dr Manu Saunders, an expert in pollination from the University of New England. A few years ago, Dr Toby Smith and I published some research looking at how Australian news media portrayed uh, insect pollinators and pollination. So we did a survey of all the major Australian newspapers. So we searched through all their archives over the last nine years or whatever the period that was available and basically pulled out every story that had been published in that newspaper that mentioned the word pollinators or pollination out of um, all the stories, 50% of them only mentioned the honeybee, didn't mention any other uh, types of pollinators. And I think there are only about 15% of the stories that did mention native bees but didn't specifically uh, talk about their role in pollination. Um, Ones that that did mention native pollinators often was sort of a vague reference or, you know, we even found a couple of stories that specifically ended with you know, there are native bees in Australia, but none of them contribute significantly to crop pollination, which is an absolute um, not true. Nearly half of the images that were included with these stories were of either honeybees or beekeepers or hives or beekeeping apparatus. We see these headlines about pollinators or pollination in Australia accompanied by pictures of honeybees and beekeepers, and I think that kind of contributes to this myth that you know, when we talk about pollination, we, we're just referring to honeybees. There are so many amazing native bees, and I want to get you off the honeybee a little bit. Nothing against honeybees, but mm-hmm. let's kind of get you to pay attention to our native bees. To do that, I've got a bit of a gateway bee for you, okay? Wow. We'll get you hooked on this gateway bee, and then maybe you'll get into the harder stuff. So when I showed you those bees before... Um, and you, you know, completely flunked. You flunked. You flunked. But you did pick that one of them at least was a bee, mm-hmm. and that was the fluffier one. You said it kind of looked like a bumblebee. Yeah. Um, that's the species we're going to be talking about today, and that's something called the blue banded bee. The blue banded bee. It's different to the European honeybee. It goes life alone. It does all the hard work by itself. 
First things you do is, is dig a hole in the ground and makes a little cell. And then they go out and collect a whole lot of pollen and they mix it with a little bit of nectar. It's called a pollen pudding. And then that they, sounds delicious. It is. Well, actually, it's a nice little. It's it is like a pudding. It's uh, when they when they bring it together, it's like um, say for example, you are making bread. You know, when you have the dough, uh, and it looks just like that. So they, they then put up this pollen pudding in the bottom of the cell. Bit of damper. They, bit of damper. They lay one egg. She just they, lays one egg. One egg on top of each pollen pudding, and then they close the cell off and go the whole and do the whole thing again. So she buries her baby. Yep, underground. 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 And says, so sort yourself out. Yep. And then she goes and do it. How many times does she do it? Uh, well, she lives for about 40 days. 40 days. So she lives 40 days. Yeah. And they a have three. Honeybee queen can live for, for five years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's quite different, isn't it? They lay an egg, they live 40 days, and by the time the 40 days is up, their progeny has come out, and then those ones start exactly the same process again. But as I said, the numbers never get up large. They never get like a European honeybee hive. 80, 60, 80,000 individuals. They're low numbers. Um, each queen may have 20 females or, or 20 eggs that she will actually lay. Um, that's not large numbers. Um, so they're in low numbers on that. But it works very, very well. Why do they live so... Why not live longer? Why not keep working and working well, and If eggs? you're doing everything yourself, you wear yourself out. It's as simple as that. Um, so said, if you, you, can, you can tell by a bee, um, you can estimate its age by looking at the end of the wings, which are all frayed and that. And they simply wear themselves out. Um, they are going every day from sun up to sundown, digging holes in the ground, going out collecting pollen, um, catching, uh, getting nectar, coming back in, making a pollen ball, starting again, and it just simply wears them out. Their life expectancy is about 40 days as a blue banded bee. So that's the price you pay for control over your gen genetics? Your own genes. You, you can pass on your own genes if you live for that 40 days, whereas if you're a worker bee, that lives for six weeks, you can't pass on your genes. You're relying on another individual, the queen of the of the of the European hive, to pass on genes that are very, very close to yours. This blue banded bee is a single mum and also is really struggling for work-life balance. Yeah, she's an Aussie battler. She's the Aussie battler bee. She's out there doing it hard, none of this luxurious queen bee no. stuff very European in mentality. And the stress is really getting to her because she's, you know, she's burying her children. Mm. <laughs> but that's her job and it's tough but honest work burying your children alive. As a child of a single mother myself, I know I'm not supposed to ask this question, but where's dad in the picture? The males don't do much. They have got one job and that's sex. Right. That's all they do. <laughs> that's all they do. The very cool thing about, um, about males is that what happens at night time? Um, the females at nighttime come back and they go and they sit inside the burrows in the ground that they've dug and they've got their young in and that. The males all get together on a twig or on a piece of grass. It's called roosting. We don't know why they do it. They're just telling stories. They're telling stories. It's like they go to the pub. They yeah. go to the pub at the end of the day, and they all get together and they all sit there. Now, what's really really interesting uh, is that when they settle down. They grab whatever they are sitting on with their mandibles or their jaws and they let their legs go. And they sit by just hanging on with their mandibles. It's fascinating to see. They all sit there almost like at a 45 degree angle to the twig, just hanging on with their mandibles and their legs are off the, 
off the off the ground. I don't understand what's happening there. The men are just kind of gathering for some men's shed slash pub discussion, but they're also doing Cirque du Soleil acrobatics. Yeah, look, Ben, I mean, male bee roosting behaviour is quite odd. We're not really sure why they do it, and it does happen in other species as well. But during the day, they're just hanging around flowers waiting to get laid. I don't want to sound like a virulent misandrist, but it does make me think typical men. Certainly does. And the other typical thing about the blue-banded bee is that puberty sucks. Oh, I can relate to this. Okay, so I'm a baby blue-banded bee. Yep. So I've just hatched out. Yep. I've, my mother has buried me alive, yep. but that's the norm that's cool. in my circle, yep, so that's, that's okay. Normal. And now, great, there's some pudding down in this hole. Yep. It gives me something to do. I eat, I eat, I eat. I grow... I start growing wings. I'm going through bee yes, puberty. Yeah. Well, I you well, it's the typical metamorphosis. You know, think of a butterfly. Typical. A, a egg, larvae, pupae, adult. So right. it's in the pupae that that metamorphosis goes on that the wings start to grow. All underground. All underground. And remember, the metamorphosis, that part where the wings are growing, is the non-feeding stage. The larval is where all the food's taken, and then all the body tissue breaks down. Uh, in animals that go through metamorphosis and that's where the whole body changes and the wings grow and the legs grow and all the hairs grow on that so it's a non-feeding stage so it's like puberty but yeah. you don't have to go to school and exactly. deal with exactly. criticism no, exactly. Just exactly stay in your hole but you've got one little problem while you're underground there's a little just thing, one <laughs> just one <laughs> apart from the multiple ones there's a really really big one yes and i've got them here they're called the cuckoo bees they're called kleptoparasites. And now the word klepto means steel. Yeah. So what they do... I don't ask why I know that. Know. <laughs> uh, let's just move on from there. But what they do is that uh, because the blue-banded bee is solitary, she can't stay inside the nest all day protecting the food source that she's getting. She's got to go out and get more. So while she's out getting more, the kleptoparasite, the cuckoo bee, sneaks in to the blue-banded bee's nest underground. Is her egg in there? Her egg's there. So she hasn't sealed it up yet? Hasn't sealed it up yet, no, no. Or they'll break open the seal. Right. And they'll, So they'll go in, eat the egg or kill the egg or kill the larvae and lay their own egg on the blue-banded bee's pollen pool. Okay, I'm seeing the cuckoo reference now. Exactly. So, Just okay. like the cuckoo bird. They, they go in and they steal the food source of, of the other insect. And mummy blue-banded bee doesn't have a clue? Doesn't have a clue. Not at all, same as the birds with the with the cuckoo birds and that. They don't have a clue. Indeed, most likely she'll come back if it is if the if the cell has been broken, she'll just seal it back up and go on and start building the next cell on that. And inside, the kleptoparasitic bee is feeding on the pollen ball that's been gathered by the blue banded bee. So, here's our Aussie battler single mum. Yep, she's got she's doing it she's hard. She's got forty days yep, to yep. try and find a few decent blokes who otherwise are doing nothing. Doing nothing. Um, she's digging holes. She's collecting food. She's Laying eggs. giving birth. Yeah, yeah. And then this other species comes along and... Steals it all. Yeah. Yeah, that's nature. Gee, kleptoparasite bees get a job. Honestly, like that... We've, that sounds like nature. That is nature. But nature sounds... Fucked. 
Think of the poor woman in the middle of this all. So she has been abandoned by the men in her life. She has buried her children alive. Like it's already like Joy Luck Club, Cultural Revolution, Misery Memoir. And then as her child's about to be born, it gets eaten. Not only is it eaten, it's replaced by a different species. Like this is Rosemary's baby level bullshit. I am furious. There needs to be a royal commission into these bees. This natural kingdom is a horrible dystopia. All right, Ben, I get it. You're a little bit upset. Um, But look, there's something that makes this blue-banded bee really, really special. Now, Ben, do you know what pollination is? In my mind, it's bees going from flower to flower and having a lovely time just smelling them all. What they're actually doing is probably more sticking their tongue in the flower. And, of course, flowers are plant genitals, so I'll leave that to your imagination. Mm -hmm. Pollination is when insects or other animals are collecting pollen, which is essentially the sperm, if you will, of the flower or plant, and taking it to another plant where it can be deposited on something called the stigma, and there you get fertilisation. Ah, so the bees have the active role in fertilising the plants, hence the birds and the bees talk. I guess sex for flowers is almost always a three-way of mm. sorts. <laughs> it's assisted assisted sex. Yep. Here's the thing, though. So you think about bees pollinating, and most people think about the European honeybee buzzing mm-hmm. around pollinating, but the European honeybee isn't all that when it comes to every flower. There are some flowers that just don't get off from the European honeybee, and that's where things like the blue-banded bee come in. The wonderful characteristic about blue-banded bees that doesn't occur in many other native Australian bees is something called buzz pollination. Buzz pollination. That buzz sounds pollination. like every bee would do that. I mean, surely they all buzz when they pollinate. Well, they they say they don't. They buzz when they fly. Okay. But they don't buzz when they're pollinating. Now there are two ways that plants extrude and put pollen out. It's called the anther. The anther is the male part of the flower, and the stigma is called the female part. Okay. In most plants, the anther uh, has got the pollen on the outside of the anther. So a bee can come along and with its forelegs, it scrapes off the pollen and then it transfers it to the hind legs or underneath and it flies away in that. But there's a whole group of flowers that the anther is a hollow tube and the pollen's on the inside of the hollow tube. So how do you get it out? That's the question. So a bee can't go along and scrape it. What's got to happen is that a buzz pollinating bee wraps its body around it's called a porosidial anther. So they wrap it around this tube and they change the wing beat frequency and they cause the pollen grains inside the tube to bounce around and they fire out of the end. And you can hear it. You can hear That is quite musical. That is quite... <laughs> That is a very vocal display going on. But that's not the only way that it gets pollen. We knew that uh, blue-banded bees buzz pollinated, but someone recently uh, took some slow-motion photography over in Adelaide University of a blue-banded bee coming into a tomato flower. Uh, And what stunned us is that the bee didn't buzz pollinate, but it banged its head against the hollow tube 
causing the pollen grains to be knocked out. Wait, 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 wait. This bee is smart enough to know that it needs to adapt its technique to get pollen, that if a plant doesn't yield it in one way, it will do something else. Well, apparently there's another strategy that it's started to use. Ben, it's not your fault that you didn't know about other native bees, I guess. Thanks, Chris. There are far more talented and interesting people than yourself who also didn't really know that we had native bees. Well, that makes me feel better and terrible at the same time. You're welcome. Did you have any real idea that Australia had a whole host of native bees? I did not. I... I actually never even stopped to think about were there different kinds of bees. You know, it's just like there's bees and then there's bumblebees and that's just about it, right? So, Ben, this is Jen Cloer. Yeah, the very talented Australian singer-songwriter. The blue-banded bee, Mm. what does that mean to you? Why is that a special insect? Does that have a place in your heart? Well, it didn't. Uh, I didn't even know that it existed until about three years ago. Um, And it it all came about when I, I guess I was feeling pretty sad about, you know, what was happening to our, you know, precious environment. And I wanted to do something rather than just sit around feeling depressed. And because I had sort of limited time, I thought I'd seek out like a local community group. So I found Friends of Merry Creek and it was through them that I slowly started to learn about the blue banded bee. So the Friends of Mary Creek are a really well-established friends group in the north of Melbourne. Um, They've been around for a couple of decades and they've done some really amazing work revegetating and revitalising the Mary Creek in Melbourne's north. It all came about because the Friends of Mary Creek wanted to plant more matted flax lily, which is a native plant that is often found along the Mary Creek. Um, And it was starting to... um, look like it could become like an endangered sort of natural flora. Uh, And the blue-banded bee pollinates um, and is a really important part of the matted flax lily. Dianella, I think, is as it's known for any of those um, nerds out there that know the names of their plants. And so I knew they needed to raise funds and I suggested, you know, that... Um, maybe we do like a kind of crowdsourcing campaign and involve the community and um, obviously because I come from a musical background I sort of brought that into the equation and I think, you know, (laughs) friends of Mary Creek really liked it and they sort of saw the blue banded bee as like a bit of a rock star and also discovered that when the blue banded bee is pollinating it bangs its head and so <laughs> it was then called the head-banging bee and, yeah, there was lots of kind of cute, slightly naff connections that we came up with between music and the blue-banded bee. Yeah, a funny thing that happened, because we, we did the concert at the Northcote Social Club and one of the rewards, because that's how those fundraising campaigns work, was that you could um, come to a concert at the Northcote Social Club. It was a matinee show... There was a few local bands like the Orb Weavers who have done a lot of work around our waterways in Melbourne. It was really lovely actually. Um, just before, and, and I'm not kidding, this is a 
weird story, like an unlikely story, but on the day of the fundraiser, I was out in the front yard and I was pulling out some weeds and there was a blue-banded bee and I'd never seen one before. It was just flying around in the front yard and I freaked out. I was like, whoa, it's a sign. You know, and I was trying to get a photo of it and I dropped my phone and ran inside and I was like, there's a blue-banded bee in the front yard. Quick, come and see it. By the time Courtney came out, it had gone, but... um. Yeah, it that was a big thrill, like to sort of have this moment with this bee on the day of a concert dedicated to it. So, do you feel like the blue banded bee is no longer a stranger? You, it's it's an animal you're close to, or you, you feel familiar with? Yeah, certainly, on a personal level. Yeah, I feel like you know, I think about the blue banded bee when I walk along the Merry Creek. And uh, I'm always looking out for them now when I'm in the garden. If I see a bee, I'll, like, run up and have a look and try and work out, you know, what kind of bee it might be. It's cool when you sort of know a bit more about what's around you. Mm. Well, that is a beautiful ending. (sighs) Be well, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find all our other episodes at theguardian.com or any podcasting app. Please give us a rating or a review anywhere you can. Look at Me is supported by the Australian Conservation Foundation and is hosted by me, Benjamin Law. It was produced by Chris McCormack from Remember the Wild and Miles Martignoni at Guardian Australia. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centred higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY.